0: Nice Sky Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley. I'm Mick Garris, and this is the fun size version of Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything, and you'll ask your questions through producer Joe Russo. Producer Joe, how are you? Hello, Mick.
1: I'm, uh, I'm good. I had, a, uh, I had a viral moment this week online. Yes,
0: yeah, so I hear
1: I uh I I I went head to head with the Razzies.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh we got that all over our feeds as well. So
1: yeah. Uh sorry about that. Um, but uh <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting. Did you did you follow that at all?
0: Uh as much as I could. Uh, yeah, but yeah they, the uh, idea they... of nominating uh, a young 12-year-old actress uh for a Razzie, which is the most abusive award out there which is for worst performances it's like what a monstrous thing to do to a kid
1: horrible thing to do with a kid but uh but but myself and and some other uh people took them to task and uh we actually affected change change this was my mick garris versus the uh fathom events moments.
0: yes <laughs> it was indeed we we had our viral moments
1: yeah we we evoked change the razzies no longer will uh nominate anyone who is under 18
0: um yeah, well done
1: joe thank you mick uh i was i was very happy it felt like for once, there was a good use of social media. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's out there. We're, yeah, well, um,
1: once once in a while, I can do a good
0: thing. We have some great feedback with people on on social media.
1: Oh yeah, no, I love I love our fans. They're they're the best, and uh, and and they're super funny and they're super insightful, and uh, and we enjoy it. Um, fans and
0: friends, yes.
1: Speaking of uh, fans and friends, you you did some traveling abroad across the pond.
0: I did indeed, I did a very quick trip to London to see uh, Reese Shearsmith starring in a brand new play that was written by Stephen Moffat and directed by Mark Gatiss. Amazing. And it was a great experience. It's a very funny uh, you know, British comedy of errors stage play and uh, Reese is at the center of the maelstrom and it's a mile a minute, it's lots and lots of fun managed to meet up with jed Shepard uh from host one of the writers of host yes and one of the actresses Haley, um and had a great time there so i was only there a couple of days it was a whirlwind trip thank goodness for air miles and uh, <laughs> and here i'm
1: back it sounds like you made the most of it um, i definitely did what do you think we make the most of uh these questions we got from our fans.
0: Love how you did that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Why
1: they call me Producer Joe. All right. That's it. Uh, Mark wants to know, do you have any memories of the recently closed Mission Tiki drive-in?
0: I went once. So, <laughs> you know, it. the Mission Tiki kind of became a hipster kind of drive-in after yeah. it had seen service in the real world as a, as a normal drive-in theater. And it became a uh, uh, an event destination during COVID.
1: Yes, because people yes.
0: could only go to the movies by going to a drive-in theater.
1: Yeah, did you? Is that when? Is that when you went? Was was? Yes,
0: it was during COVID because I don't think it was called the Mission Tiki before it became a hipster theater. Got it. But it was really great fun, you know. It was people trying to put together a vibe that was real during the 1950s and 60s and 70s. Um, and they really recreated the experience quite well.
1: Yeah, I uh, I went for Beyond Fest. Uh, ah. Beyond Fest was was at the drive in that year in 2020. I saw Chris Landon's uh, body swap movie Freaky with Vince Vaughn, uh, ah, excellent. which was which was good fun. So uh, you know, Crystal and I went out. Uh, we saw the movie. We got some In and Out on the way home. It was, uh, it was
0: <laughs> you got the experience
1: fun, fun night. But I will say. It was a schlep out there. Uh. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) It's not something you do on a regular basis if you live where you live or where I live.
1: Absolutely. Um, All right. Jeff asks, with a film like Marink* having just come out, do you think a lo-fi style of filmmaking can create a strong impact for horror?
0: I don't care what the phi is. It, it, a good movie is going to attract an audience and a bad movie is not. Uh, I, I think Marink* is a one of a kind movie um, and it's all about the quality of the film and whether it's storytelling or atmosphere building or whatever the approach is, experimental or not experimental, a good movie, will hopefully see it through. Obviously, there are a lot of good movies that have not attracted an audience for various reasons. But I don't think one film is going to alter the course of independent horror film distribution.
1: No, I mean, you know, it's it's it is nice to see an experimental movie that was made you know, on a, on a limited budget, $15,000.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Make over a million dollars at the box office. I mean, that's incredible. That's we always love when we see that happen and I'm sure there will be influences felt, uh, you know, in, in movies to come where you will see skin of a rink like set pieces in them. I think it would be really hard to recreate that exact thing again and have lightning strike twice. Um, yeah,
0: it's very specific in its in its goals and its achievement.
1: Yeah, but that I think it just proves to show you, though, if you take risks and you take chances and you make something different, uh, you can find an audience.
0: Now, a million dollars on a $15,000 budget sounds great, but the cost of putting a movie into theaters and marketing a movie is... Uh, Nobody's going to see a lot of money from that,
1: but but it's
0: still an achievement to to be proud of.
1: Absolutely. Uh, All right. Anthony writes, I spent 13 years in various cities and was able to pay my way through art, but found the city life wasn't for me. Now that I've moved to a small town in rural Ontario, Canada, do you have any advice for rebuilding a relatively stable foundation in the arts, particularly in film and music that doesn't revolve around a city center?
0: What do you think? Yeah, I was gonna say move to Toronto, but no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what do you think? Um, I mean, you, you've moved to the suburbs, but you wanna keep doing your art. What, what, what do you think, Mick?
0: Well, I think it's easier to do art remotely than it was before. But if you are talking about art as a painter, um, you need access to galleries. You need access to, you know, whether it's traveling from your suburban digs into the city um if you're a screenwriter most of the meetings are held on zoom as you know joe and we both know from experience um it's easier to be a writer remotely than anything else um but as far as filmmaking goes if you're an artist uh who's part of a crew or you're a director or producer or whatever i think it's more crucial to be near where the industry itself is so you know it it's it's just putting another weight on what it's going to take for you to, to break through and make your living. If you've been doing it for 13 years, then hopefully you're doing something that you can still do in that way. I was lucky enough to have been born in Los Angeles. So it's my home, no matter what I do. And my business happens to be centered here. But yeah, it's, it's heard- also centered in Vancouver. It's centered in Toronto. It's centered in London. It's centered in Paris. It's centered in Sydney. So, the, but they are city centers. So, it is just adding another challenge to to the many challenges it takes to make a, a life in the arts.
1: Yeah, there, but there are pockets of people all around the country in different states and different towns. And I, I don't know if it's quite the same in Canada, but uh, you know, there's a lot of big independent film communities that do 48 hour challenge short film festivals and things like that. And, you know, I think
0: think he's talking about making his living.
1: Yeah, but I think you I think to be able to make a living, you still have to be able to go out and create, you know, so you have to find your people, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe use, you know, either either start a 48 hour film challenge and, and draw people in nearby that way. But basically find and or build a community. Uh, that then you can transition into making bigger and better things and and hopefully make a living at it, you know?
0: And that is making a situation that you have to create from the ground up. Yes. And so, um, but if you are planning on making a living in the arts and you've been able to do it successfully in the last 13 years or living in 13 cities or whatever it was, um, more power to you and you're more likely to be able to do that from afar, uh, but working in specific elements of the art world does require a presence where that business is located.
1: Yep, I agree. Uh, Speaking of uh, production, Gary wants to know, Mick and Joe, what are your favorite lenses to use and why?
0: It's interesting because I love long lenses and I love wide lenses and I hate everything in the middle. (laughs) <laughs> um a long a long lens gives you a very shallow depth of field so that your foreground and your background are soft focus and so it's very specific where you center your um the, the focal point of your shot whereas a wide lens shows you the world around it and everything's in focus and the wider you go you tend to get some distortion and Using those two, even a wide lens on close-ups can give you an exaggerated effect. Um, But I love intercutting between the two of them. A lot of people used to say, "Oh, you can't use them both uh, without uh, something in the middle for transitional cutting and the like." But I don't think that's um, true. (laughs) But the the two of those they add beauty and texture to a shot. I don't want my camera to see exactly the same thing my eye sees, Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. a 35 or a 50 millimeter lens. But I do a lot of of establishing shots, particularly moving shots with like a 10 or 14 millimeter lens um, that sees the world and gives it a special feel. It makes the world around you overwhelm the characters within it. Uh, Whereas a long lens is all about the character or item within yep. that world and it mutes the world around you and adds important to the character him or herself
1: yeah yeah i remember on nightmare cinema uh our dp andrew russo and his team used to uh say that that's they they, they even like nicknamed a particular lens after you i can't even remember which one it was but it was, it was in- the
0: 10 millimeter
1: <laughs> that's right the 10 that millimeter was the Mick lens. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so so yeah i know you i knew you were gonna say you favored those um for me i'm a sucker for a long lens i love shallow depths of field i love getting to the point of view of a shot i love actors faces uh like mick said it's about it's about kind of directing and and using your characters and getting intimate with them and i've always been a sucker for for a good 85 millimeter uh so that's that's, uh, you know, I, I tend that's to- on the
0: wide end of a long lens for me.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so for me, that's that's, you know, that's one that, you know, if they were going to joke that Nick is a 10 millimeter guy, I'm a, I'm an 85. uh. So there you <laughs> yeah. go.
0: I'm I'm 10 or 150, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. One yeah. Or the other
1: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> All right. Zach asks an old song that we answer a lot, but it's a new year, so we might as well do it again. <laughs> What's the most common way a new writer can break into the industry?
0: Write something great.
1: Yeah. It uh, you sounds, know, sounds so glib, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. you
0: You have to write something that stands out from the crowd. And it doesn't need to be something that will make a hit movie. Mm-hmm. If you can knock out the people who are reading it, you know, agents are mm-hmm. going to want to look at it. Producers, you write a script that makes producers and agent want to keep turning the page and seeing what happens next. Yeah. So that, uh, yes, it sounds glib and it sounds easy and it's not, but that's the only way to make it happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's there's, there's no, Unfortunately, there's no simple way around it. There's no, you know, quick fix. There's no if you don't have the great script, none of the things that come with having a great script come. Agent. <laughs>
0: there you there you go. That's eloquent enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 true though, right? Like if you if you don't if you don't have it, uh you're not gonna find representation, you're not gonna win contests, you're not gonna, you know, yeah, get meetings not- with executives, you're not, you know, yeah. it's 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 not,
0: it's not about what they teach you in screenwriting class. You know, those things can be valuable. They can help you, but you really just have to write something that stands out from the
1: back. Those are, those are training wheels. That's kind of how I see, you know, at some point you got to kick the training wheels off and ride the bike. Yep. Uh, So that's a better analogy. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That works. All right. Beast Man Supreme wants to know. Mick, if you could pick anyone from the afterlife, who would be your dream podcast guest?
0: Alfred Hitchcock.
1: Ah, that's what I figured you were gonna say.
0: Yeah, well, that was an easy one. I, I've seen him back in my, my uh, publicity days at Universal. I used to sure. see him go in and out of his office, which later became John Landis's office. But um, I mean, I can't imagine anybody more interesting than that. I never interviewed George Romero, although we were friends. Yeah, and he would have been great as well. But
1: yeah, I remember he was someone we were talking about very early on as a potential guest, and unfortunately, he passed away. Yeah, the year we started the podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but uh, no, I mean Alfred would. I mean, Psycho on Psycho uh, would, <laughs> yeah. would, would, would have been a very interesting conversation to hear you two uh, discuss uh, your your respective experiences with so the. So tell uh, me
0: why mine was so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you see Mick,
1: your maybe, film
0: is not maybe, near what we were doing with
1: ours. maybe that was very good by the way uh, uh I,
0: well i have a really great quote from alfred hitchcock i never said actors were cattle i said actors should be treated like cattle
1: <laughs> that will tie in very nicely with our uh last question uh-huh. um i i i was gonna say you know, actually having Alfred on might be a little bit of like a monkey paw wish. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you'll get him on the show, but then he's going to tell you what he really thinks of (laughs) Psycho 4. All right. Matt writes, uh, Mick, I recently saw a YouTube video on the channel Trailers from Hell uh, in which you talked about Fritz the cat. Uh, Have you ever met or interacted with Ralph Bakshi? I haven't. Huh.
0: <laughs> so sorry there, the, you know, it would have been uh, more interesting. A, it's, a, it's a light hell.
1: answer. But what, tell us <laughs> yeah. about tell us about Fritz the Cat. Tell us about Trailers from Hell. We re- so rarely get to talk to our about Okay,
0: our well Trailers from Hell is a site that was created by Joe Dante where filmmakers um, do Commentary on trailers for movies that interest them. Yes, usually it's a way to show clips from a movie without worrying about copyright and things like that because trailers are in the public domain. But I have chosen movies that had a certain effect on my life or my profession or whatever. Even some of the some of us talk about our own movies, but they're commentaries that play over the trailers for the movies themselves. So I found it fascinating that Felix the Cat, it was the first, uh, Fritz the Cat, it was based on a Robert Crumb uh, underground comic and it was very foul and smutty. Uh, And so the movie was the very first animated movie rated X. So X rated and animated is how they sold it.
1: Nice. And so that was uh, fascinating.
0: And Ralph Bakshi was a very transgressive, animator he, who had worked on Mighty Mouse and stuff like that. And, and he just wanted to do adult animation his way. And he later did the first version of Lord of the Rings as an animated feature. Um, so he was a really interesting character and uh, did a lot of fascinating work. Um, and this was fascinating because it was so uncensored and very funny. And I don't know how it would hold up today, but I must have done that that uh, trailer from hell at least a decade ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, mixed on—he's uh, a regular on on trailers from hell, just like Joe Dante is a regular on postmortem. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I would I would encourage you to go check out their website and and see uh, see clips from of Mick and and lots and lots of other friends of the podcast. It's and, a
0: blast. There's hundreds of them.
1: Oh my gosh, so many! Uh, it's it's a great site, and I would I would gladly tell you to go uh follow them on on the twitters and the instagrams and uh and and check them out and also
0: Um, trailers from hell presents the movies that made me the podcast podcast. Dante and and josh do together
1: yes yes which mick has also been on and is uh is quite fun so yeah uh big big plugs for uh for for joe dante josh olson and trailers from hell um all right Continuing on uh, with some more zealot of horror questions, Uh um, the real Ian Shore writes, you've previously mentioned Toby Hooper's friendship with Bertolucci, and that fascinates me. Can you provide any more details?
0: Not other than, you know, Toby and he were very good friends. When when you're a filmmaker who achieves a great deal of success like Toby did with Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw, you go to film festivals a lot around the world. Mm. And Toby was a cineast. He wasn't just a horror guy. He loved film from around the world, Uh, every kind of movie. His favorite movie was The Red Shoes, which is a ballet musical that is by uh, Michael Powell and uh, Pressburger. They did Stairway to Heaven as well. It's a beautiful, artistic, incredible movie. That was Toby's favorite movie. So Bertolucci and he crossed paths, and uh, Toby's partner did costumes for Bertolucci in one of his movies, and that sort of thing. So um, they just became good friends, and uh, and I, it's the kind it reflects who Toby was. You know, people see him as the guy who made Texas Chainsaw, which was a very, very important part of who he was creatively and personally, but he was also a guy of very deep interests and varied interests and intellectual pursuits as well. And uh, a a dear, dear friend. And I, I greatly miss him.
1: He just uh, would have been 80 years old last week. Yeah. Yep. It was his birthday. Yep. Uh, Well, John Ryan Howard wants to know, speaking of of our our late greats, um, do you have a favorite memory of meeting Wes Craven?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, well, it wasn't meeting him. Uh, We met on a panel at a Director's Guild retreat in Lake Arrowhead with me and and Wes and Larry Cohen and I forget who else uh, about horror. Wes invited me to a screening of My Soul to Take before it was called My Soul to Take. And he just wanted to get my input on it. And I went there to the screening room at Universal. And he and I and his wife were the only people there. He had specifically just asked me. He wanted to screen it for me to get my input. And I was so touched and so moved by that. Yes, we were friendly. And uh, I had a great deal of love and respect for the man. But I had no idea that he would be interested in my opinion to the point where he would just wanted to screen it for me and, and my input. And that was incredibly moving. And I I was very touched by that. And we had wonderful conversations and the like, and he came to the master's dinners several times, and another one greatly, greatly missed.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some other relationships uh, you've, you've made over the course of your career. Uh, Jeremiah writes, Mick You've worked with so many terrific people in your career. Anthony Perkins, Alice Corriga, Ron Perlman, Ruby Dee, the list goes on. Have you ever been forced to cast an actor you didn't want in a role? And how did you navigate to get the best performance possible?
0: I have. and We won't ask for names. Yeah, I'm not going to give names. But you do it the same way you do it with the actors that you do want in the part. you know, some actors are more difficult than others, but the job of the director is to find out immediately how each actor works best and responds best to direction. Do they welcome direction? Do they want a fatherly figure who gives them advice? Do they want eyes outside looking in? Do they want to be left alone and find it? You, you discover early on what an actor's needs are and you fulfill those needs you make them know that you're on their side that you want what they can give best and sometimes that needs to come from the outside rather from within the actor themselves because the actor sees their perspective and their character's perspective and not necessarily how it adds up to everybody else around them and you want to give direction through encouragement and let them know that you want them to be at their best and you'll help them to be at their best, whether they were the people you wanted for the project or not, they become the people you want in that role and they have to, or you're just going to do a shitty job.
1: Well, I was just going to say, have you ever had an experience where you cast someone that you didn't necessarily want, but when you got into the creative process, uh, they ended up surprising you more than you ever would have thought.
0: Definitely that that happens all the time, you know, you make do, but it's more than that. You make magic with them. Yeah. You find a way to make them the actor, the character in the role as that you think is best for the movie. And you do that with them. And there have been several times where there was somebody I wanted more than maybe the produ- the network or the producers. And you choose your battles. Yep. And there have been a couple that I've lost, and then some of them that I've lost that did not turn out to be as good as I hoped, but others that were, hey, he or she was really terrific. I'm really excited about this. And it's just, you know, you learn, especially if you've never worked with these people before, you learn about them and and you appreciate them and, and learn how to get the best from them and how to get them excited about giving their best
1: have you ever been on set with an actor and you were sure what you were getting was great. but Then you got into the edit and you realized maybe it was not as great as you thought.
0: It's <laughs> looking like you had that experience. John. No, I've never, I,
1: I mean, I, I can't think <laughs> of anything in particular. I'm just, I'm just wondering, I mean, you've worked with so many more actors over the years than I have. Uh, well,
0: you know it on the set. You, you yeah. can tell if it's working or not. I, yeah. I, I've never been surprised. I've never gone into an editing room and go, Oh, that was shitty, and I thought it was so good. <laughs> so no, uh, yeah. I, I have
1: not. It's a, yeah, it was just just a thought that popped in my head as you were. No, talking.
0: I can imagine that happening.
1: Um, I could but, totally imagine it happening too. Um, but I f- also feel like if you're going to be directing, uh, you, you should. Yeah, have you ought to be able to know. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You should, yeah, exactly. You ought yeah. To, yeah, or for you're sure. not That's prepared. I was going to say. I was, gonna say, I was actually going to say like, I haven't had that experience that I can think of because I do think I have an ear for a decent performance, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, you have to, or or you're not, what, or
1: what to... are you doing? You're just, you're just arranging shots. Yeah. So... <laughs> Which uh,
0: a lot of directors are all about the shots. That's
1: true. That's yeah. true. All right, Nick. Well, uh, that concludes our first ask Mick anything of the year. Yay. Um, yeah. Yay. If you guys Thanks have more to Everybody out there. Yeah. Yes. If you guys have more questions, Uh, You can send them to our Ask Mick Anything email, askmickanything at gmail.com, or you can send them to Mick at Mick PM on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send them to me at Joe Russo Tweets and at Joe Russo Graham on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. Lots of places to send us questions. Send us lots of questions. We'll be here all year. (laughs) And we'd really
0: appreciate it if you go to your favorite uh, podcast app and rate and review the show. If you're enjoying it, it it really helps us a lot.
1: And even if you're not, give us five stars anyway. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Mick. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.